Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church Virtual Church. We are glad that you are here. Uh, today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the first six verses. Um, as you're turning there, uh, I do just want to make a couple of announcements and comments. Uh, f- first and foremost, uh, for, for those of you that are at home watching this, and there are a number of you, this um, when we recorded the worship, Larry had asked, like, how many people are watching online? And, uh, you know, I just didn't know off the top of my head, but when, it looked, when I went to YouTube, it looks like there's, um, it looks like there's about 40, 40 to 50 views on, on, on YouTube. And on Facebook, there seems to be anywhere between 60 and 80 views. And so I don't know how many people that actually equates to, but there are a number of people watching online. And so... We don't know who actually is watching online. Um, I do know that the number of people who are from Grace Point Church who are in communication with us and, and sort of checking in, and um, I appreciate that. So I just want you to know that we love you, we care for you. Um, you know, we, we're, we're, we're doing these online services because we do care about you and we miss you. And so we very much appreciate it. If you comment, send me an email, a text, you know, check in with us. How can we pray for you? How are you doing? These have been a, uh, a you know, a very unusual last few months. Um, I do have some prayer requests I'd like to share some, you know, urgent. It's been, it's been a, a tough couple of days. Um, on f- Friday, it would have been Thursday, Thursday, the Beards flew um, out to Michigan as an emergency because their nine-year-old grandson had some complications following a surgery, and they he ended up passing away um, during during the early hours of Friday morning. And so, um, please be praying for the Beard family, uh, for Dave and uh, Jenny Beard, um, their grandson, their their children who lost a child. For just their whole family, we we really want to lift them up to you. Our family on that same day got some rough news that um, my sister-in-law, Anne, um, Anna's brother's wife, um, was diagnosed with, um, it looks like, lymphoma. And, and so it's pretty, pretty serious. And so uh, Anna's mom flew out on Thursday also. And so we're just, we're just kind of waiting. So we request your prayers uh, for that. Also, I don't know if you have received a, a bookmark. If you haven't got one, um, received one, um, you can reach out, you know, you can reply to the announcements. If you get the announcements, uh, you can text Melanie or reach out to Melanie and let her know that you'd like a bookmark. Uh, she's going to have some rough treatments over the next few weeks, and so please really lift her up. She's just such a sweet little girl, and it is, it's, um, you know, it's just hard so, to, to watch. And so they, um, they're optimistic but please keep, uh, you know, mom and dad and the grandparents and the whole family and especially little Hannah in your prayers as, the, as she um, battles uh, her cancer. And so we really do appreciate that. Um, we're going to make another run at the directories. We've actually had a number of new people um, part, become and participate with uh, Grace Point Church here live and certainly online, whether or not we know who you are or not. But we are trying, we started in the beginning of the year, sort of, we're all ready to go uh, with the directories. We're going to make a final sort of um, 
you know, a few little tweaks that here and there. And so if you would like to be in the directory and if you're not sure if you're in there or not, uh, please let us know again. You can go to our church website, reach out to us. Uh, we will get the information. Melanie is the one who's heading it up. And so uh, please do that. And finally, uh, this is my awesome mug, Pastor, because Hardcore Devil Stomping Ninja is an official job title. It was a gift to me. It makes me smile every time I, I see it. It's a little cheesy, but it cracks me up, and a sense of humor goes a long way. Um, so the governor on Friday made his an announcement. Uh, it's um, from San Diego County. It doesn't seem exactly clear. One of the things, as far as churches go, um, it looks like on tomorrow, I think, if tomorrow's August 31st, I think it is, uh, churches are allowed to resume uh, in, in indoor operations um, from, uh, with the, you know, 25 people, 25% of the capacity of the building or 100 people, whichever is less is the number you have to go with. We are probably going to continue going with the outside services. It's just nice having everybody together outside, socially distanced, and it just it's been working out really well, and it's it's nice. And so we're going to continue doing that at eight o'clock. I imagine by October, when things start cooling down, we'll shift the time to nine a.m. But we'll just have to wait and see. But with that, some of the Bible studies are going to resume inside. Um, that's that's the main thing. I know the ladies' Bible study is looking to kick back up here. Um, so talk to Judy Cuyers about that. Um, also, there uh, we're talking about uh, an ad- adult Sunday school class on Sundays. Um, John Johnson, he has been a BSF, Bible Study Fellowship teacher, for many, many years. And so he would like to teach a, a an adult si- Sunday school class. And so he is interested in, in leading um, a, a study of Revelation. And so if you're interested in that, please let us know. We're really just kind of collecting information at this point to see uh, what the interest is and um, sort of what it looks like. But we, but he would like to do that. It would be on a Sunday, depending on when we have church. It would be before church or after church. If we're at 8 o'clock, it'll be after church. Okay, with that, that's a lot of announcements. I, I, um, you know, I, I hope you all are doing well. I've been preaching to the camera. It's a little bit, it's, it's you know, it's just awkward and, and uh you know, I know you're out there, and I, I, I know that I'm, I'm in your living room, and I'm with you, and we're, you're sitting around in your pajamas or casual clothes, and you're worshiping your Lord. And so we are so happy to do this. We're happy to be there with you. Uh, please interact and let us know how you're doing. With that, let's pray, and uh, we'll look at First Thessalonians. i got to move quickly here. Those are a lot of announcements. Um, and we'll look at our six verses here. So First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us now as we uh, continue navigating through this wonderful little epistle. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would help us to understand what was said in context during the time of writing. We ask that your spirit would illuminate this text, that you would speak to our hearts Lord, show us areas in our life that we can learn from uh, through your word. May you encourage us greatly, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV, the 1984 edition, and um, here we go. You know, brothers... 
that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you of his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Father, we do thank you uh, for this day. We thank you uh, for your word. Again, Lord, we ask that you would uh, lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. All right, so... uh, you know, back when I was in the Navy, one of the things I loved to lead as an instructor uh, was the runs. And so we had conditioning runs that weren't timed runs, and we would take off down the beach, and the students would never know how far. I, I, I never knew how far. But for safety, we had to kind of keep the class sort of short if this is a bunch of guys together. And as you run, it's sort of the slow guy sort of spread out, and you can sort of be spread out over like a mile down the beach. And so as an instructor, it was my responsibility that when we got too far out, I would circle back around to kind of go back, pick up the stragglers, get everybody together. Uh, there might be some cur- some remediation, we called it, to sort of uh, correct the guys that were slow. And uh, and then we would continue the run again. And so for those of you that, that remembered from two weeks ago, we, we spent the whole sermon on verses one and two. But verses three through six... Um, really tie into verses one and two, and so I, um, I, I felt like it was best just to, to go back and to look at verses one and two. We're not going to go look at the whole what happened in Philippi. We know what happened there now, and we're able to look at it in context. I'm, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying Thessalonians. It's been really good for my heart. I, you know, I've been going through the the NIV mainly because. It's like different to me. It's it's the the translation I I came to Christ reading. It reads very easily. Uh, over the last you know twenty five years or so, that I've been a Christian. I've pretty been in the New American Standard, and so for me, it, it like kind of it forces me into a translation that I'm not comfortable with, um, or it's not second nature to me. And so things come across differently, and it really takes forces me to sort of consider what's being said, and. In that, normally I sort of map out the text, sort of like every passage sort of out for the year. In Thessalonians, I've really just been going week by week and and just trying to allow the text to dictate, not worried about mapping it out because if anything in 2020 has taught me is there's no sense in mapping anything out because I just don't know what week to week things will look like. And so it's been very nice and refreshing for me just to sort of take a bite at a time, not worrying about the week that's to come. Um, but but in this section, um, let's let's just sort of look at the text here. So verse one: You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. And so, as a reminder, this this you know, it's a it's emphatic. It's it's telling them to to think through. It's a charge to. To, to consider the time that Paul was with them and the things that he did and said and how he functioned. They had firsthand knowledge. And throughout this section, you get the impression, the idea that 
Paul was under attack, even though he'd moved on and he hadn't been there for weeks, months. Um, but the, uh, the assault on the new church in Thessalonica continued, and Paul was the main subject of their uh, attacks. And so throughout this, he uh, keeps saying, you know. Like So in verse 1, he says, you know. Verse 2, he says, as you know. In verse 5, he says, you know again. Verse 9, he says, surely you remember. And in verse 10, he says, you are witnesses. And so there is this assault on Paul's character, and he is pleading with the believers in Thessalonica who are under attack to remember and to consider and to evaluate Paul's motives and character. And he is defending himself before them that he is trustworthy and reliable with his message. So he says, you brothers and sisters that are visit to you. So their visit that he had with them was found in Acts 17. We've reviewed this a number of times. Um, He was there for three Sabbaths. He he went into the synagogue. It was a huge town. They had a synagogue. There was enough Jewish believers. He went into the synagogue. He reasoned for three weeks, uh, showing them from the scriptures that Jesus did indeed fulfill all of the requirements to be the Messiah. And so there were a number of people who believed, but the Jewish leaders uh, grew jealous of Paul, and they wrangled up some uh, s- some people not con- not connected to the synagogue, but they 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 wrangled up some people to basically run Paul out of town. And so they go to the house of Jason, who was a local. They, it's believed that Jason was a relative of Paul. They can't find Paul, and so they take Jason and they beat him up and. They start going after him, and Jason basically tells them, like, listen, I'll promise you, you have my word that Paul will not return. So Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, they all flee. They make their way up to Berea, and they continue their their journey through Europe. And then we see this, that our visit to you was not a failure. Uh, Back when I was an instructor... Still today, it's one of my, I enjoy them. There, there are uh, these posters. You've all seen the, the inspirational posters, you know, like a runner, and there's something, there's something motivate, motivating about it. Uh, but there were demotivating posters that were sort of uh, plays on those posters, and we had them in our instructor's office. And one of my favorite ones, it, it, uh, it was like a guy who'd crashed over like the hurdles for track, and he's laying on the ground, and on the bottom, it says, you know, failure when your best just isn't good enough. And so I, I sense that as Paul is reflecting on his time in Europe, there was a, something within him uh, questioning the, the validness of their trip. Uh, certainly those around outsiders would have said that this trip was a, a, a failure, uh, this word means empty, foolish, worthless, without results. Um, the critics is making the, are making the case against Paul that this was all vanity. There's this like the all in vain, not vanity, but all in vain, and 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 just Paul's wasting his time. And it's so easy to get uh, discouraged in the midst of uh, adversity and of affliction when things aren't going uh, the way that you think they should. We're, we're coming up on six months of the coronavirus with our economy in California in particular being shut down. Uh, it's discouraging. 
I mean, it, it really is discouraging. Our kids in school and the, the just, I'm certain that everybody who is watching this can identify with like the, just the, the, the downcast heart. And, and it's so easy to do that. And I think that what Paul is doing here, it's, it's a reminder to look around and see what God is doing. God is doing so much uh, through the coronavirus within our church and in churches around the county and our nation and, and, and uh, state. And he's, he really is up to good things. And I really, truly believe that as we look back, as we get through this and we look back, it'll be like, yeah, you know what? That coronavirus year, that 2020, when all this hard stuff happened, it was a time when God really moved in our midst and he raised up people and he brought people to himself and he refined us and, and purified us as a church in ways uh, that can't happen during the good times. And so uh, Paul, Paul reminds them of this. He said that we had previously suffered and had been insulted in Philippi, as you know. So he speaks of the we. This is the Apostle Paul. This is Timothy, Silas, and Luke. Um, these, these four men who um, were sent out by God on this missionary journey to, to, to new waters, uncharted territory, and the church was plant, was planted. He said that we had suffered, had been had suffered, and had been insulted, treated outrageously. Some translations say, in Philippi. And la- two weeks ago, we looked at his time in Philippi, which you can find in Acts chapter sixteen. They made their way uh, uh, across from modern day Turkey. They landed in Greece. Uh, they got to Greece. They made their way to Philippi, this leading city, a Roman colony. Uh, they they spent some days looking around. They couldn't find a synagogue. There were not there were not enough Jewish males, and so what they did is they went down to the river, and at the river they they found a uh, a group of ladies that were there and they were praying, and so they were had Godward hearts, and and it was a place of prayer. And Paul meets Lydia, and so he shares the gospel here. And we see this lady, Lydia, this, this trader of, of purple fabric, very wealthy and successful. She believed, she was baptized, and she demonstrated Christian hospitality uh, to this, this missionary team. Paul was ultimately placed in jail with Silas. The earthquake happened. They stayed there. And then the jailer, uh, he comes to faith in Christ. He was baptized and this uh, just this beautiful picture of the gospel emerging, like doing a, a transforming work in these people's lives. Um, the, 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 the town's leaders, the leading officials, the magistrates, they wanted to send Paul and these, these guys away secretly and in quiet, quietly. And Paul says, we're Roman citizens. You can't treat us like this. And so we want you to come down. We want you to exonerate us and do this publicly so that everybody knows that everything we've been doing is above reproach. And so they did that. And he spent some time with Lydia and he encouraged them. And this church became one of Paul's uh, greatest supporting churches. And through this adversity, we get the wonderful letter of Philippians. And so he leaves from Philippi, makes his way up to Thessalonica. And so he says, we'd previously been suffered and insulted in Philippi. As you know, again, they knew this firsthand. And then he says, but with the help of our God, which is just 
Beautiful. So they're beaten up. They spent the night in jail. The jail comes tumbling down through an earthquake. They're basically leaving town, limping along. They make their way up into Thessalonica. So we we think of them as being sort of, uh, you know, clean and showered up. And these guys are just beaten down and sore and, and looking rough. And so he says, but with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel. And so as they, uh, as Paul goes through trial after trial after trial, he makes his way into Thessalonica, these dear new believers who he's writing. And he says, you know all of this. You saw us when we walked into town. We were a ragged bunch of guys, and we had courage to continue to share God's gospel with you in the face of strong opposition. And so the the human tendency in our flesh, Paul's flesh probably was to retract, was to pull away, was to, to not go forward. He had been beaten so many times and faced resistance for sharing of the gospel. And yet he pressed on. And he says to them, you all were there. You know it. You saw what I went through. With the help of our God, we shared his gospel. Just beautiful. That's all review. And then we come to verse 3. And we read, for the appeal we make does not spring from error, impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. So this, this for, this word for, it's a, it's a Greek word guard. It like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a connecting word that tells us it's connecting to the previous section. So when we read for the appeal we make, the question is, is what's he talking about? What appeal did he make? Well, if we go backwards, we're, and we're trying, to, to, trying to, like, to draw a line, this word for to something, it seems that where we tie the line to is uh, his gospel. We dared to tell you his gospel. So in their fear and their nervousness and, and all of the stuff that they had endured, they dared to tell them, the, the, the people of Thessalonica, about the gospel. And that's the appeal that they made. And now the, the, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's all tied to the Old Testament. There's all pro- this prophecy uh, connected to it. There's evidence, there's support. There's the transformed life of Paul. And Paul is giving his life. He is literally emptying his life out for the sake of the gospel. He, that is the appeal that he's making, and this appeal for the gospel, this turning them to Jesus, there are three accusations that Paul is refuting. These three accusations were common accusations to the, to the many charlatans uh, that, were, uh, that were around. There were religious con artists, like there are religious con artists today. You can't trust a book just because it says it's a quote-unquote Christian uh, book. You can't trust a preacher just because he's on TV. There are all sorts of crooks out there. Amen. They're everywhere. The three things he says, air, impure motives, or trickery. And so air, he says that 
it doesn't, the appeal we make, the gospel we tell you about, it doesn't spring from, from air. This is accurate. The gospel is true. Its source is God. Uh, the Father is the one who revealed the, this truth. Jesus is the one who lived his life. And Paul is merely sharing the good news that he himself has received. This impure motives speaks of uh, impurity. Uh, the, the, the main way it's used is, is in sexual impurity. And if you do uh, research on sort of the Greek gods and how they worship, there was temple uh, prostitution. And, and so uh, this land was scattered with religious guys who used this, whatever message they were sharing uh, as, as a way for sexual impurity, and they were taking advantage of it. We, again, see this all over. People that act in impure ways um, are, are all around. You don't have to go that far within the newspaper to find uh, stories of, uh, of impurity. And so he says, this is, this, the, the, our, our motivation was pure. Um, there was no deceitfulness in what Paul conveyed to them. He wasn't trying to, to trick them. And so in short, what Paul is saying is, we weren't scam artists. Um, and quite frankly, neither am I, which every scam artist would say that, right? But no, this is... Um, you know, as we get through this passage in the next couple of weeks, they shared the gospel, they shared their lives. Um, I think this is why I'm so uh, committed to not just planning a church and moving on, but that I've committed my life to planning my life here, to, to give of myself in this community, um, to this body of, of believers in a, in a very open and transparent way. Um, you all know me. Like I share about my life, my struggles, the things that are going on. And I think that's the way it's supposed to be. He goes on to say, on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So these three accusations, those are three things that were going around about Paul, about all sort of the religious guys floating around in the area, which there were many. And he says, you know what? That's not true. On the contrary. And on the contrary is to go on uh, really um, for much of chapter 2. I I think all the way to verse 12, which I don't know if that's going to be a week or two weeks for us to get through. We'll see how the next couple weeks shape up where I I feel like we're going to go next week. But Paul is going to really unpack what he's about to say here. He says, "On, on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God uh, to be entrusted with the gospel. So this approved by God, it's something that Paul uses. Uh, Thessalonians is one of these early letters in the New Testament. It's one of the earliest ones written. Galatians is the other one that, that we don't know which one is first. But at Thessalonians, Galatians, Paul has to defend himself a bunch. Like he's, he's under harsh attack. And so he's, he comes out in a very different style than he does in Thessalonians. And in Galatians 2, 7, look what he writes here. Um, it's so similar. He says, on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter 
had been to the circumcised. And so they each had their special calling and who they were to reach. God used uh, Peter to reach the Jews, and he used Paul, this, this most qualified Jewish man, to, to be the apostle that would reach the Gentiles. And so he says, I've been approved, endorsed, tested by God for this task. He's been entrusted with the gospel. Now remember the gospel for those of you who are unclear. The Bible makes it very clear that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we by nature are sinners and because of our nature, we're born of sin, we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. We are, we are separated from God at conception after the fall of Adam and Eve. So we're told back in Genesis that God would send his son to, to, to make a payment for our sins, that he would go as a sacrifice on our behalf. And that's the gospel. It says that he uh, was executed according to scriptures, uh, that he died, he was buried, he was there for three days, and that he rose again. And he did that for us. He was the substitute. He stood in the place of, of us. We were supposed to receive the punishment. And so he suffered, he died, he rose again, he conquered death. And because he did this, there's this exchange. It's available to you. It's received through belief. It's not received by works. It's not received by your good deeds. It's you saying, Jesus paid it all for me. I, by faith, believe. And that's it. And, and Paul says that that message, he has been entrusted to deliver this. It's such an honor and such a great privilege. The responsibility that we as believers have, we as a church have an obligation to stand firm on the word of God. This is all we have. Gunner's opinions don't matter. Your opinions don't matter. What we have is the word of God. And so we stand on the word of God. We've been entrusted with the gospel. And so the world's going to go against us. The world is going to hate us and go against us for the things that we stand for and what we believe. We're not called to be jerks. We're called to be loving witnesses. But we're called to truth and love. And the truth is God's word, and we have to stand on it, even if it's uncomfortable. Because we've been given this great responsibility to be ambassadors for our creator. It's an amazing thing. And so from this, Paul is trying to get them to understand. He says, we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. This, this temptation to please men, uh, th- that's something that I think we all can identify with. We all want to be pleasing to people. We all want to be liked. We all want to be loved. We all want to, to, you know, to be nice and loving and caring and to get re- reception. This is, this is you know, the, the power of peer pressure, why so many teens and young people and old, older people, quite frankly, succumb to doing stupid stuff because they want to be liked. And if, and if they think if they go along with the flow of traffic, 
then everybody around them is, is going to love them and care for them. And so they do so many things that are just wrong. If you look at like gangs and, 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 and the things and certain things, like quite frankly, the SEAL team's culture is you have a, like a bunch of guys that come from broken families and they find a new family and you want to do whatever you can do to, to maintain uh, these, these relationships. Now it's, it's broad. It's from uh, people in the church, so leading a church. There's so many different personalities and there's this pull within my heart as a leader. I want to make everybody happy. But, but at the end of the day, I can't always do that. And hard decisions have to be made. And sometimes people get upset. And quite frankly, the strain of the coronavirus over the last five months, pastors across our nation, our state, have just had to navigate some really difficult waters. And we, I can speak on behalf of the pastors that I know, that we are so grateful for those that are so understanding and so empathetic about the, the weight of what we're trying to navigate. Not everybody is that way. I, I tell you, I still have a stack of letters that I keep on my desk that trickle in over the coronavirus just to remind me of how awesome the people in our church are, and I am grateful for that. But the temptation is not to please people. From people in the church, people in our own families, our friends, the world around us, and probably the most difficult person that I want to please is myself. My flesh is strong. And there's a temptation to do the things that we want to do to make ourselves happy. But Paul says we're not trying to please men, himself included, but God who tests our hearts. This is one of those great buts in the Bible. But God who tests our hearts. Do you know that God knows the condition of your heart? He knows your, your thoughts, your motives, we can't, I can't know your motives. You can't know my motives. You can see the evidence of my life and you can sort of, as you press in on me and you watch me over time, you can see hopefully my character, my integrity, uh, who I am as an individual, uh, how I handle the word of God, how my life reflects the word of God in my teeth. Like you, you can, you can do all this, but ultimately it's only God. God sees through all into our innermost beings. Don't play games with him. You can fool other people, but you cannot fool God. You cannot hide your sin from him. And so Paul understands this. Paul doesn't care what people think about him. Who he cares about is the audience of one. The, his God in heaven who knows the intentions of his heart, the purity of his heart. And he says, you know what? I'm living for him alone. And I hope that's how you're living. This is, this is how I want to live my life as I navigate the church. I want to be faithful to him as I lead the church. I want to be faithful to him as I lead my family. I, I want to be faithful to him uh, in my own life, in the, the privacy of my own home, when I'm all alone and nobody else is around, God is there. And I could get away with a lot of stuff, but I can't fool God. You can't fool God. And Paul understands this. And he says, we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. And then he says, you know. We never used flattery. 
I love that. This isn't Eddie Haskell. You should be worried about people who are trying to flatter you, who are trying to say nice things. Uh, This is why I get so uncomfortable around salesmen of any type, whether they're used car salesmen, whether uh, it's a guy, you know, 20 years ago that I'm buying the, the engagement ring from, to buying a house, to all of these things. I just go in there, I'm like, I'm, I, they're trying to sell me something that they don't want. And so I should be suspicious. And, and they're, you know, just using flattery, trying to butter you up, trying to make you think they're the greatest guy. And when it's religious people, there's nothing worse. And there's a warning against flattery. And Paul says, you know, we never use flattery. Paul, I think, just told it as it was. And then I love uh, this. Uh, I almost went back to the New American Standard this week just to kind of get back to the, this. I really like reading out the Bible, preach out. It's a little bit difficult, but then I saw this verse, and I'm like, I'm surprised I haven't seen this next phrase, you know, taken out of context on a, a, a meme somewhere on the Internet. I almost put it in one of my pastor groups, but I don't want to, I don't want to ruffle too many feathers, but... The, new, the NIV and uh, the 1984 edition says this <laughs> in light of the coronavirus. Maybe I'm just getting a little too goofy in my what we're going through, but look at this verse. It says, if you want to take it out of context, of course, that would be how you'd have to do it. But it says, nor do we put on a mask to cover up. <laughs> and uh, but, but that would be taken out of context. He says, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. He says, like, the, the other translations, like the whole, um, or we have verse 5 here, the newer new NIV says, nor do we, oh, no, that's, I'm out. Uh, the other ones talk about that, you, uh, sort of like the idea of, of being phony, uh, putting on, a, like, a fake front and exterior, that they had ulterior motives of making up money, because it says, ultimately, we never use flattery, nor do we put up a mask to cover up greed, that they were sincere in their approach. We'll see that as he goes through this letter, he says, you know, when we were with you, we were, we were tent makers, we worked. We actually know um, from Philippians that the church in Philippi gave Paul financial gifts to help fund his ministry. And this is one of those things. I, uh, this is one of those things that I've really enjoyed about the, the, the interruption of the coronavirus. Like we don't take offerings anymore. We don't have announcements. Like it was, it was definitely like, how, how do we do this? Some people have asked, Hey, how do we give? And we've put, we've put the information out there, but on these recordings, we're no longer having, like, we don't have the announcements in the traditional time of taking an offering. When you come to church now, uh, in person, we follow the same format. We do singing straight into preaching and then we end. There's no announcements. There's no offering. It's just people who contribute to the, the work that we're doing here. They, they, they make sure that their gifts get here. And it's been a very neat thing. And we may never take an offering at the church again in the way that we used to because of what the coronavirus has done. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, So they were genuine. They were transparent. They were real with them. This is what we need. I try to be transparent and raw in my preaching, some would say to a fault, but I feel like Christianity is filled with too many phonies. 
And we need people to be real and raw and to say, you know what, like I'm struggling. And, I'm, and as I struggle, this is how I turn to God. And this is how his word becomes like ointment to my soul. When I look at the Psalms, it wasn't a bunch of phony Christians or Jewish young men saying, oh, God is so good. And all of these, uh, you know, uh, platitudes. There's rawness. There's hurt, there's anger, there's frustration, there's crying out to God for help at the, at the things that they see. When I, when I think back at the prophet Habakkuk, who's one of the greatest prophets, I love it. It's like, how long, oh God, do I call out to you and you not hear me? How long, oh God, are you going to stay silent as, as all of this stuff happens in my midst? When I see the scriptures, what I see is God's children are open and transparent with their struggles. And I think that that is how we need to be as followers of Christ. There's no sense being phony around here. Be real. You're hurting? You need prayer? Let us know. Let everybody know. Are you struggling? Let us know. We care about you. Is there something we can help you with? I don't know if we can, but we'll do our best. This is Christianity. This is what being real is about. And look at verse 6. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. He makes it clear his aim is to be pleasing to the Lord. And there's so much in this section where we see the, the character and the um, the heart of Paul. We get a glimpse of who he is as a man. And we see his integrity. We see his intensity. We see the things that he cares about sort of come bubbling out to the the surface. It sheds insight on how leaders of a church should be. My prayer is that I, as a leader of Grace Point Church, would, would always function in this way that we would keep our eyes on Christ, that we would stand firm on his word un, unshamedly. Uh, even if it means persecution and resistance, that we would continue to press forward in the way that God has called us to do. It really shows us the aim of our lives. My prayer is that if you don't know Christ, that you would give your life to him. And that as you give your life to him, that you would truly give your life to him. Don't compartmentalize your life. Live radically for him. Allow him to transform you from the inside out. You have nothing to fear if you're in Christ. Not the coronavirus, not your finances, not anything. He has numbered your days. And in him is security, the only security that you'll be able to find. Regardless if you live or if you die, our security is found in him alone. And so my prayer is that you would seek him, that you would find him, that you would know the power of Jesus' resurrection in your own life through faith in Christ alone. With that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you 
for your word. We thank you, God, for this time that we have to worship you through uh, the, the worship, of, through music, through studying of your word. Father, we pray that you would, during this time, that you would help us as a congregation to rally together, to encourage one another to keep our eyes on you, and that we would truly uh, get serious with you, that we wouldn't play a game with you, with those around us, but that we would be fired up for living for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you all, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Please check in, you know, say something online, send us an email. How can we pray for you? We love you all. God bless you. Have a great week.